Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone. It's my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Ian Shaquille, co-founder of Augmetics. Ian, what a pleasure it is to have you on our show. Welcome. Pleasure to be here, Patty. Appreciate it. Thank you for that. So let's get some introductions out of the way. Tell us a little bit about Augmetics and your journey to how you came about launching the company. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure thing. So I've always been excited about healthcare, technology, wearables, Internet of Things. And in around 2012, I just graduated from Stanford. And it so happens that I was hanging out among some Googler friends of mine, and they were telling me about some secretive hardware that they were developing. At the time, it was called Google Glass. And mind you, in 2012, no one in the world had ever heard of Glass, knew anything about Glass. They let me try on this secretive hardware they were working on. And they said, please don't take a picture. We'll get fired if, if you do. But what do you think about this, this glass prototype hardware? And the first thing I said was, have you thought about doctors? Here's what you could do in the world of, of healthcare. And that was my prior background. All of these Googlers laughed at me and said, no, we're thinking about consumer applications, dads in the park, GoPros, selfies, and stuff like that. And I said, no, doctors, enterprise, here's why. And we got into a big debate. We agreed to disagree. And I, that's when I became obsessed. From there, I decided to found the very first glass company of any sort and create an application for healthcare and for doctors specifically. And um, we created this company, Augmetics. We um, endeavored to really rehumanize the doctor-patient interaction using technology such as Google Glass. And of course, our service has evolved and, and we now use many different hardware types above and beyond Google Glass. Let me just tell you a little bit about what Augmetics does. Basically, if you, if you go see a doctor these days, it's a pretty miserable experience. Doctors are typically typing, charting on the computer, not paying attention to you, wasting hours a day in the electronic medical record. We fundamentally solve that problem. Our doctors put on technology. They have phones in the room or they use Google Glass. And then from there, when we are virtually present, Augmetics, and we take natural doctor-patient conversation and we produce EMR notes better and faster than what the doctor would do on their own. Um, in essence, what, what Augmetics then does is saves doctors hours every day and allowing the doctor to focus on what matters most, patient care and the patient right in, right in front of them. You make that sound really easy. <laughs> I know, do. You put on the, the doctor puts on the glass, and the technology is automatically transcribing the conversation, and voila, you have everything in the back end. Tell me that's true. <laughs> it's true, but there's a lot of details beyond that. So most of our doctors use uh, smartphone kits today, and still a good number use glass, but most use phone. And so what's actually happening is we're transmitting the visit, the audio and the video to our platform. We're typically what we call a tech-enabled remote scribe is processing the conversation and distilling that to a structured note where it belongs in the electronic medical record. Unfortunately, natural language processing and AI is not at a point where um, an ambient conversation can be processed 
and just results in a perfect note without human involvement. So we are an unabashed human in the loop company, which is very much necessary. So, so the human would be skipping the chit chat about where are you going for Memorial Day or <laughs> how's the weather today, focusing on what's medically pertinent and constructing that conversation into a note where it belongs in Epic or Cerner or whatever EMR the doctor uses. This tech-enabled remote scribe on the back end is operating within what we call a scribe cockpit. It basically has a bunch of specialized automation modules that deburden the scribe. So as the scribe is constructing the note, they're making a few clicks and edits in our natural language processing note builder. The note is expanding faster than they could conceivably type. Then they're editing those expansions. And those expansions are getting better every day. And furthermore, the scribe is invoking ASR or speech recognition modules for parts of the conversation, which make sort of software attempts at creating parts of the note. And then the scribe will then edit those attempts. So if you hear me speak more about this in the back end, it's really a marriage of human involvement and as well as technology to make a service like Augmetics possible. If you were to yank the humans out of the loop and try to do something like Augmetics with just software, you really end up with something more like dictation, where the doctor has to say wake words, press buttons, and then be verbatim, you know, express entire sections of the note word for word. As far as we can tell, that's generally speaking been around for a while and not helpful and not what doctors are looking for. Doctors are looking for an ambient natural solution where they can converse with their patients and the notes get done in the back end. So that's a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes for Augmetics. A lot of this sounds like what uh, I hear when I talk to providers of voice recognition technology. It sounds a lot like that. What are the differences between, let's say, what a voice recognition tool does in Alex, uh, Nuance, Siri, take your pick, and what an Augmetics type service does where the hardware is a little different? Maybe I can kind of like segment out the market and help you understand who's doing what in each category. So voice recognition or speech rec or dictation, that's a whole category, and that's been around for decades now. And the dominant player there is Dragon, and there are others. And really the key marker of what's going on in that category is the doctors basically being verbatim. They're pressing a button, they're taking their device, and they're, you know, patient presented with this and that, and here's what I did. And they're, they're expressing the note word for word. They're typing with their tongue. That goes to the system, that comes back, that represents the note. There's another category of solutions that I like to think about, in-person on-site scribes, right? Um, that's literally having a third person in the room, following you around, computer up, typing, charting, clicking, observing the conversation as it unfolds. The beauty of that in-person scribing solution is that there's no time wasted having to structure and dictate and review those dictations. The note is generated from the already occurring conversation. But the downside of in-person scribing is that it's very much not scalable to have these persons in the room. They take up physical space. They call in sick. There's all kinds of scalability and quality issues with that. So that's an entire category. We are in this new category of being remote. So we are able to have all of the benefits of that in-person scribing experience. We're able to do so in a more cost-effective and scalable way and also layer in technology in ways that were previously impossible. So again, like the categories are like Dragon, in-person scribes, and now we've got remote scribing or ambient remote documentation. Now, you mentioned that you were the literally the first company to launch a clinical application for Google Glass. Right. Now, by all indications, the, the adoption of Google Glass in the clinical context is still coming along. It's still in early stages. Uh, and you're a pioneer in this space. 
you're the dominant player in the space. What does the rest of the market look like? How far has the technology come, the glass technology? Where is it headed from a broad-based adoption standpoint? <laughs> Google Glass, when it originally launched, was all about consumer. And um, much to my dismay, Google pursued that for a couple of years, but they ultimately pivoted their glass efforts and refocused them on enterprise applications, of which we are one of those, and certainly the dominant player in healthcare as it pertains to glass. But within the glass space, there are other very interesting applications in enterprise, oil and gas, field, manufacturing, all kinds of fulfillment applications of glass and things like glass. It's a vibrant space and still early. I would say. And I would also further add that we're, we're on third generation hardware now, which is leaps and bounds better today in 2021 um, than it was seven, eight years ago. The devices are lasting a lot longer from a battery point of view. Their Wi-Fi is a lot better. There's a lot more robust enterprise-grade security configurations and settings that are now present that were not then. So with these things in place and further evolution in front of us, I, I think you're going to start to see smart glass adoption in all of those categories. I, I just mentioned healthcare being one of them. All right. Now, Augmentix went public recently through a somewhat unusual process. You want to share with our listeners and viewers what that looked like? Sure thing. Um, so Augmentix is now a publicly tradable company under the ticker Augment, uh, AUGX. We're listed on the OTC and we are public by way of reverse merger. It's really exciting opportunity for us. For one, we raised additional funding through this process, which is great fuel for our, our ongoing growth, investment in commercial expansion, investment in technology, which is significant for us. So, And two, we, we see incredible enthusiasm in the market among all sorts of investors um, to participate in something such as Augmetics, which really is a play on burnout, digital health, telehealth, and so by now being public, we're able to take in the full spectrum of interested parties and investors that want to participate in Augmetics. So it's really exciting times for us and prepare for more growth ahead. Yeah. Yours is clearly a very interesting company in the space that I like to call conversational interfaces. Mm -hmm. And obviously the technology and the applications sit at the intersection of some kind of a clinical application that involves a special hardware, software, and of course, data and analytics. So there's a lot of such technologies that sit in this, in this intersection. Uh, we already talked about voice, for instance. We didn't talk about chatbots, but that's another sort of a conversational interface. And then you've got you know glasses you, that you talked about. Tell me a little bit about how that space itself is evolving in the context of clinical applications in the healthcare space. Yeah, I see conversational AI creeping up in so many interesting ways in the world of healthcare. Certainly there's a lot of um, activity in patient engagement and interaction. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for patients to be nudged and reminded of activities and care goals, um, next steps in a remote and asynchronous and conversational way. And there are just numerous companies doing that. Typically that's over sort of text, asynchronous text, SMS type of platforms. And it's distinct from what we're doing, for sure, but certainly an area of great excitement. I think our area is white hot as well, which is is taking a look at doctor-patient conversations and deriving EMR, structured EMR output from those conversations using technologies we're not doing. We're not the only player. We're the pioneer and the biggest, but we're not the only player in the space. And it's certainly white hot as well. 
So I, I would say those are the two key areas. I mean, there are other areas where if you think about patients at the bedside, engaging with smart speakers, that's another area of conversational AI and innovation that I'm seeing, sort of communicating with, with staff, with next steps, with information, with your family members and such applications. I'm, I'm seeing a good amount of activity there as well. So those are three areas in conversational AI and in healthcare that I think are, are pretty hot right now. And the technology, by all accounts, has uh, come a long way and continues to advance at a fairly rapid pace. At the same time, when I, you mentioned patient engagement, this is really about improving the patient engagement as much as it is about improving the caregiver's productivity. Now, the patient engagement component of it is a little bit tricky. Patients can be very receptive to a technology or not so receptive to a technology. Mm -hmm. I read a report recently which said that patients are skeptical about taking advice from a chatbot, as an example. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have a doctor-patient encounter where the doctor is wearing something that looks alien or is peeking into a device while having the encounter and the device is seen as as an intrusive presence in some way. And again, patients are humans. They have their own preferences. They have their... uh, own thoughts about what is intrusive and what is not. But the report that I read seemed to suggest that they find it intrusive and then they don't trust the advice of a conversation. Again, I know your technology doesn't provide any advice. It's it's more uh, caregiver A. But talk to me a little bit about the patient side of it and the, or the consumer side of it in the clinical context and what could hold back the growth of uh, these kinds of conversational AI, conversational interfaces, if you will. Yeah, well, in our case, you know, that was a concern of ours when we first launched Dogmatics, sort of patient resistance, negative patient reaction. But I guess I'm pleased to say that as far as we can tell, patients are widely accepting of the use of Dogmatics on phone or on glass in their in the clinical interactions with their doctors. We always ask the patient, hey, are you okay with the use of Dogmatics at the point of care? That typically happens on first visit by the front desk or by the MA. And we measure sort of the decline or off rate. And 98% of the time plus, patients are A-OK and accepting of the use of augmetics in that environment. In other words, the off rate is less than 2%. And that appears to be true, male, female, urban, rural, young, old, and all kinds of different geographies, which is really a great result for us. And for good reason. Patients, generally speaking, prefer this new mode of interaction with their doctor, where they're paying attention, they have more time, and they're being more fluid than the old way where the doctor was running away, they're running out of time, they're not paying attention. We also provide the patient with all sorts of assurances around security and privacy. Um, If there is a moment of nudity or anxiety or or stream goes off, we go into incognito mode and we provide all kinds of other assurances. Now, it's interesting to juxtapose that with other conversational AI systems like what you're talking about, like patients engaging with a chatbot you know, I think the difference there is there's no human in sight. You really don't know how reviewed or involved the human is in high-impact decision-making. And next steps, you're just seeing text coming from a system that may have a, a picture of a doctor by that or, or not, but you're just not, you know, verifying with your own two eyes that the human's in the loop qualifying. I would expect that the level of skepticism and adoption in that system is higher than the level of skepticism in in our system. So I would advise those companies to do everything they can to indicate and highlight the level of human review um, in these early times, especially for high-impact decisions to kind of tackle that skepticism. 
This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. How do you see your competitive landscape? You, you know, we talked about so many different technology mm-hmm. options for this kind of a technology-enabled conversation kind of enabled. How do you see your competitive landscape? Who do you think you're competing against? Uh, is it a certain type of company? Is it a certain type of technology? Is it a do-nothing, you know, business as usual? <laughs> what are you competing against? Well, for one, the market is so enormous. And vast majority of doctors we encounter are using no solution at all. And they're more or less toiling away in the EMR, looking for a way out. But I realized that the space is getting a lot more attention. There, there are a lot more entrants coming into it. Fast followers, as we can uh, politely refer to them. A big new entrant in the space, for example, is Nuance with their DAX product. It's distinct from their Dictation Dragon product. There are other players as well. I would say we're pretty distinct from Nuance with their DAX in a few ways. Probably the most important way is that we operate in real time. We're a live service. So to bring that to life for you a little bit more, our notes and our interactions are being created literally in real time as conversations progress, as the, as the day progress progresses. So that means you're not waiting hours or for the next day as a doctor to see your notes come into the EMR and to okay them. They're just done then and there. And that has a huge benefit for productivity and alleviating your memory burden as a doctor and so forth. So, so again, we're real time. And another benefit associated with being real time is that we can be interactive and offer you additional services. So with Augmetics, you can Q&A with us. Um, we can fire off um, strategic orders and referrals. We can remind you regarding HCCs and other items. There's other things we can do. And this is made possible only by our live and interactive presence. Whereas most of our competitors in DAX, which I mentioned, is non-real-time and is in um, no shape to be able to perform those kinds of services. I should also add that we also offer a non-real-time asynchronous service in that category as well, which has its benefits. It can be flexibly used and is more affordable relative to our real-time service. So a key advantage of Augmetics is that you can come to us and we can offer you the suite of both. Augmetics can offer, you know, these doctors over here are live real-time service and here are the benefits for those. And here's some doctors over there within your group that would benefit from having Augmetics Notes, which is our non-real-time service. And we can offer you either or and or both to meet your strategic needs as a doctor group. And that, that's our key distinction um, versus most of the competition and nuanced stacks in particular. What does the reimbursement environment look like? How do you build a case for a solution like yours? Yeah. Well, the, the main way to think about this is we save doctors time. We typically save a doctor two or three hours a day and sometimes more. And what you as a doctor do with that gift of time may vary from one health system to another. Often you'll end up seeing more patients per day. If you're in primary care, it may take one or two more patients a day to forthrightly pay for the service and then some. If you're a specialist, the hurdle is even less than that. And if you are being saved two or three hours a day, that's not so much of a huge ask frequently. In addition, we see that more revenue per chart is generated when documentation is thorough and accurate, as is the case with us, which is another ROI proposition for us. Another key thing to mention is we alleviate burnout. Um, And that sounds soft and squishy. And maybe a health system CFO you would think wouldn't want to hear about doctor burnout. But actually, there is a hard dollar associated with the alleviation of burnout. There's a scarcity of doctors in America right now. Doctors are partially quitting. Doctors are leaving health systems. 
whenever a doctor leaves a health system or a doctor group, it's very costly, huge productivity dip. You got to find a new doctor, move them, productivity resumption. It could cost nearly a million dollars when a doctor leaves a health system. And so we see evidence that Augmetics really rekindles doctors' love for the practice of medicine, staves off burnout and other associated benefits. These are the reasons why a health system would adopt Augmetics. Yeah, of course, the burnout is a, is a serious problem, and, and I think everyone takes it seriously now, regardless of whether you're a clinician or not, because it's a real human as well as economic toll on uh, you know on society and on the, on the health system in particular. So let's zoom out a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Dragon Nuance. Uh, Nuance has been in the news. They're about to get acquired by Microsoft. So... What do you see as the big trends emerging as it relates to the moves that big tech firms are making in the market? Parse it out for me a little bit, if you will. <laughs> Obviously, it's big news that Microsoft and Nuance are now one. We can brainstorm as to really what was the thesis behind that marriage. I think most people would argue, and I would also argue, it's a little bit of a Rolodex play. We see that Nuance through its legacy products like Dragon is present in the majority of health systems out there and doctor groups out there in small ways in one way or another, but nonetheless present. And so we think that one of the reasons why Microsoft is so very interested in obtaining Nuance is so that they can upsell into that pipe, into those health systems and doctor groups where there's just so much market share and access through this acquisition and upsell specifically Azure and Azure-related tools and other Microsoft-related tools. So of all the reasons we see that acquisition occurring, I think that's probably the most agreed-upon reason. And certainly, Microsoft is also excited about this ambient documentation space that we've been talking about and other things that Nuance Nuance is doing and that DAX is doing. And when I think about the other big tech companies, not just Microsoft, there's certainly a flurry of activity to jump into healthcare and to find traction within healthcare just simply because it is such a huge percentage of the US economy and to not be relevant and growing and innovating there is going to be leaving these tech companies out of a big piece of the pie. I see everybody doing different things. And as it pertains to my space and my domain, I see a lot of these tech companies creating tools and modules that are going to be very useful to companies like Augmetics. For example, they are going out of their way to create specialized medically tuned speech recognition modules, natural language processing modules, cloud hosting and compute capabilities tuned to healthcare needs with the right types of security and compliance um, aspects. I mean, they're getting competitive in those areas and innovative, but I'm seeing them stepping back a little bit from providing the end-to-end go-to-market and product solutions in those areas, whereas a few years ago, I saw more attempts for them to be doing so. So that is kind of a a trend I'm seeing among these big tech companies. Well, the one exception to that may be possibly Amazon, which is actually getting into the healthcare services space. Correct. Kind of crossing the Rubicon, if you will, in some ways, because the other tech firms are happy to provide the technology and the infrastructure to be able to deliver better care, get better outcomes, improve patient engagement, reduce overall you know, IT costs and a number of such things. And they're all valuable plays, uh, not so visible. But Amazon has clearly taken one step forward in terms of getting directly into the healthcare services space with the Amazon Care offering, 
And then in particular, they also seem to be making a big bet on home-based care, which is now the new big thing. A lot of others are getting into it as well. Where do you see yourself in the context of these you know, big tech firms? Do you see yourself maybe partnering with one of these big tech firms and making your technology available? They don't necessarily want to build another solution like yours. Maybe buy you, but... <laughs> yeah, well, my previous comment about these tech companies creating more enabling modules versus end-to-end products was kind of more of a comment around my domain specifically. But in other healthcare domains, like what you just mentioned, certainly Amazon in particular is jumping into the fray. I have to be careful about what, what I disclose here, but over the years, we've had heavy and meaningful partnerships with more than one of the big name brand tech companies. And um, we continue to have all sorts of partnership projects and collaborations with multiple of them. So at the present moment, you can consider us to be somewhat Switzerland. We use many of these different enabling tools and cloud systems and hardware. For example, we don't make Google Glass. We rely upon Google for the production of that. We, at the moment, continue to be Switzerland and continue to work with multiple tech companies. There definitely will be opportunities and have been offered opportunities for us to get strategically cozy and focused with just one of those tech companies. But at the present moment, that's not what we're doing. But let's talk about the digital health ecosystem. You're one of the earliest companies, if I go back to your you know, 2012 launch, in the digital health space, what is now known as a digital health space. And we've seen a couple of cycles where digital health companies have come and gone, they've pivoted, they went B2C, didn't work. You know, They thought they could get around the doctors and go direct to consumers, didn't work. Now they're trying to figure out, and many of them are successfully figuring out how to work within the healthcare system how to grow, how to deliver value and uh, transform the system. Now, we're also at a moment when there's lots and lots and lots of capital available for anyone with an interesting idea or not. What is your advice to digital health entrepreneurs getting into this space now? And if I may be cheeky enough to add, what is your advice to the VCs? Certainly the space is a lot busier now than it was in 2012. So most of the areas of great pain and need have now a few different venture-backed startups chewing away at the problem, taking different approaches. And that's not meant to scare anybody away from jumping into the fray, but I think it kind of creates a bit of a situation where a lot of the digital health innovation is maybe in the mid or, mid or later stages and not so much in the very early founding seed stages. And to the degree that there still is opportunity to found seed stage digital health companies. And yes, I do think so. I think the burden of proof is going up now versus previously, fair or not, to get funding and to get initial traction. I think my advice is that the ROI and the validating metrics required for you to get attention and funding, those expectations have increased greatly. So it's not a time for you to step in with incremental solutions and sort of iterate your way to path forward. You need to be, be really meeting unmet needs with eye-popping ROI benefits that happen pretty quickly. Otherwise, you're just going to get passed over in this extremely noisy space. I guess I would further advocate that entrepreneurs really focus on clever go-to-market strategies to get you to material scale faster in light of the thick and muck that is healthcare and be really data-driven and metrics-oriented 
so that you are proving to all the stakeholders that you're adding a lot of value and ROI to everyone. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of assume assume away ROI and metrics and data proof or assume that health systems and customers and doctors and payers are kind of running the numbers and can process those numbers. But I would not make that assumption. I think early stage entrepreneurs need to invest in the analytics and BI and the ROI on day one and overly so in order to stand out, which sounds a little contrary to being sort of a product focused founder, but I think it's necessary in today's environment. That's great advice. Well, Ian, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could, uh, you know, maybe we can pick up this conversation, another discussion at some point down the road. But for now, I want to really thank you for uh, sitting aside the time and for sharing your thoughts. I wish you and the entire Augmentics team all the very best and uh, we'll be in touch. You got it, Patty. Thanks for having me here. Looking forward to keeping in touch. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Palbox.